Welcome to the Explorer Poet Podcast, an exploration of the blurry line separating our physical world from our abstract realities. You talk about something called a soul's high adventure. Man is born with a certain functioning. A kind of house of meaning that we dwell in. A clandestine land found underneath your floorboards. These represent a common human inheritance. A common vocabulary of rituals and symbols. Let's let you know where you are. Such and such a hero has done so and so, and that is your what am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. you got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up. Follow your bliss. I mean, find where it is and don't be afraid to, to follow it. Conversations and stories, myths and reality, science and the gods we worship, the esoteric and the everyday. Come explore with me. Welcome to the Explorer Poet Podcast. My guest today is an accomplished painter and an amazing person named Beth Zink. Beth didn't begin painting professionally until her kids were grown, but now her work hangs in private and corporate collections around the country. In speaking with Beth, I found someone who says what she thinks, lives on her own terms, and finds joy in the creative experience. Our conversation couldn't have been more fun. I hope you enjoy it as well. Okay. Okay. Hi, Beth. Hi, Josh. <laughs> Um, thanks for having me out to your studio. I think this is a beautiful place. Thanks. It really is. I'm, I must admit, um, I live in a beautiful place. This is a desert area of Cave Creek. We have kind of a horse property, and um, so we have lots of, you know, we have about an acre and a quarter of property, and my husband built me this beautiful studio. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's my, uh, my workspace, but also my display space, and I teach here too. Yeah. I teach painting. I've noticed that a number of artists seem to gather here in Cave Creek area. In fact, you're the third artist that I've visited out here on this same, coming out here on Cave Creek in the area. I'm not sure what it is that draws artists to a community, but it is, it's smaller, it's, you know, it's nature, it's beautiful, the light's great here. Um, we have an active art league that may draw yeah. people too, and it seems like North Scottsdale, Carefree, Cave Creek have a lot of um, like weekend art shows, a lot of opportunities for artists. Mm. So I know a couple of people who have actually moved from other parts of the valley to this area specifically because they didn't want to have to commute so far to the opportunities to mm. sell and show their work. Yeah, interesting. It seems like a, yeah, it's it's because I was telling you I met with Gideon and I also met with a guy um, a couple of weeks ago named Carlos Page. I don't know if you know sure. Carlos. Yeah, and he's got a cool studio as well. He does. And he's just built um, a new building out front, and he's going to use it for, you know, displaying his work. But, yeah, it's uh, it's deserty, but you're kind of up in the hills a little bit, and there's a lot more uh, growth out here. I don't know. It just seems like nature and art seem to come together well. I think you're right because, you know, it's not all concrete. It's not all, you mm, know, one yeah. subdivision after another out here. Yeah. Um, thankfully, and hopefully it won't become that. But Carlos probably lives in a half a mile as the crow flies from yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, I mean, he works with all the materials and the tools and everything, and it's just like a, it's like a playground over there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> playground for welders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you and I met, uh, it's actually been maybe two months now, a month and a half, two months, because you were 
at the Celebration of Fine Art. Yes. And I was telling you, before we started recording, I was telling you that I went there and I was looking around because I had this idea that, you know, with starting the podcast, I'm, I'm thinking, who do I begin speaking with? Like, who are the first people that I reach out to? And for whatever reason, I thought artists made sense. And so I went there with the intention of trying to find people to talk with. And um, like I was telling you, I, it, it gives me just approaching somebody and saying like, hey, will you do this thing for me? It made me feel anxious. It made me feel like I was trying to sell somebody. Mm-hmm. But but um, I went with this idea of, of I, I don't know who I'm going to talk to. I don't know if they'll be interested. I don't know if we'll have a good back and forth. But what happened that day, and honestly what happened as soon as I walked into your studio today, is that you've just got this way of being where you're just, you're kind of joyful and you just, you engage in dialogue. And, and I had my kids with me that day and they, they were kind of just poking along and you got them involved as well. You were handing them flyers and paper and telling them to start <laughs> sketching. And, and, um, I'm a mother and a teacher and a grandmother. That's yeah. why. <laughs> yeah. But I just found, I found your energy very, uh, engaging. And so, good yeah. So, uh, in that moment, I was standing there talking to you and I thought, oh, this is a person that I should definitely try to sit and w- down with. And what did I say to you? You, well, yeah, I, <laughs> you said to me, what's in it for me? Isn't that nice? Yeah. No, it was a good, it was a good question because, um, because this is a project that in a way it's, it's pretty selfish for me to just, to just be like, eh, I think I'll just go talk to whoever I want and record it and publish it. And so it gave me a chance to actually think about it. You know, to actually think, what is a good answer for somebody like you? <laughs> Why would you want to talk to Josh? Who's I'm Josh? Just such a smart Alec. That's what it is. You yeah. know, I mean, I I say things I probably shouldn't say, but I've always been kind of off the cuff. Mm. Yeah, I could I could see that in that moment, and and I was like, oh well, that's a good question. But something about you also let me answer. You let me think about it and come up with an answer, and you thought about it, and you said, oh, okay, let's let's go for it. You know. What I saw in you is somebody that wasn't trying to force something onto me. I mean, I've been, I kind of resent real high-powered salespeople, mm-hmm. and that wasn't your MO. Mm. And you had your kids with you, you know, and I thought anybody that, you know, not that you're a single dad, but you were by yourself, your wife was not with you. Yeah. And any any man who takes his kids to an art show, I think, has has something special about him that he's trying to have his kids experience um, the whole creative po- process yeah. and and widen their widen their horizons or whatever and and see what people can do with their lives. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a big part of who I am is just not a big part of the way I think is I look at the world and I say, okay, somebody else created this game, but that's not a game I want to play. Right. <laughs> Let all these other people go play that game. But what's the game that I want to play? And, and yeah, for, so for my kids, it's, I feel the same way. Like I just want them to see the world as this big opportunity rather than some set of paths and you get to pick one, you know? And so, yeah, I try to, I try to be very open with them about like everything that I'm doing when I'm, when I'm editing at home, they'll come and sit and listen with me. 
and then they'll tell me it's boring and they'll walk away. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, that's one thing about kids. They're truthful. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. But my kids did. I told them, they said, hey, who are you going to go talk to today? And I said, I'm going to go meet with Beth. And we met her at the show and they were both like, oh, we liked Beth. We remember her. So, oh, good. Yeah. They wanted me to say hi. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Tell yeah. them hi. I, I couldn't remember their names. but Yeah, I will. Yeah. I'm not going to say it on here, but yeah, I will. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell you afterwards. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so, um, so I want to talk to you about all sorts of things. I want to talk to you about your art, your way, your life, the, your way of thinking about things. But um, just for starters, like, just tell me, tell me like your art journey. When did you start and, and when did you land on what you were going to be doing? And when did you do, when did you realize you could do it for your life as a career? You know, the realization came when um, I think she was like, I always say my elementary school art teacher. Uh, back in North Situate, Rhode Island, I grew up in a very small town, and um, you know I was I was good in school. I mean I was smart and I I paid attention and and I wasn't didn't act out too much. And Mrs. Windsor paid an awful lot of attention to me in art class. Hmm. And my recollection is that she somehow encountered my mother and said, you know, Beth has a gift, hmm. and she should be given the opportunity, if you can, uh, give her some some other experiences outside of public school. So my parents, my mother convinced my dad uh, that I should be allowed to take some art classes. Rhode Island School of Design is a world-class art school. Do you think I was allowed to go there? <laughs> no, because it was a bunch of hippies and beatniks walking uh, up and yeah. down College Hill, which was 10 miles from my home. I'm glad I didn't go there because it was too close to home anyway. But um, my my parents were, especially my dad, very provincial New Englander. I mean, mm -hmm. he was a, a, an Archie Bunker type of person that, uh, you know, it's he, artists, artists to him weren't like normal people. There right. was something strange about being an artist. So. Yeah. I was allowed to go Saturday mornings. I remember a girlfriend and I took the bus 10 miles down to the Rhode Island School of Design to take a life drawing class. My parents didn't know what a life drawing class was. I had a charcoal stick and an 18 by 24, um, what is it, a newsprint pad. Okay. And some probably drug-crazed um, painter, oil painter from the 60s, with long, scraggly, nasty hair and whatever, was modeling for money. Mm. And we had, he was standing in the middle of the room, and I'm this 14 year old, scrawny, prepubescent um, yeah. hair little girl with whose mother cut her hair into a pixie. And I'm sitting there and drawing this man. Well, I took the drawings home. My mother said, You better not show those to your father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes. So, so that was oh, my man. that was my experience at Rhode Island School of Design. However, my mother did convince my dad that I should major in I, that I should be allowed to major in art in college, and he said, "Fine, but you better minor in education because mm. no one makes a living as an artist. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah." And um, so I did. I majored in art in college, and I minored in education. And, um, you know, he, he thought, well, as long as she could teach it, then it would be okay. Yeah. Well, luckily I was bright enough that I um, got a, a basically a, 
what's called a Pell Grant now, but Senator Claiborne Pell was a senator from Rhode Island. He had a, had a scholarship program called Rhode Island State Scholars. Mm. So I applied for it, and I won. I could have had a free ride to the University of Rhode Island, but I didn't want to live in Rhode Island with my <laughs> parents being 30 miles away. Yeah. So I went away to a liberal, liberal arts college because my dad wanted me to get a liberal arts degree. That was what he thought was most important. And um, I ended up being a hippie, um, you know, 700 miles away instead of where, you know, yeah. right in my, my parents' backyard. Yeah. But uh, going through all that because I was a child of the 60s. And um, I did uh, major in art and I used my art off and on. I did teach in public and private schools over the years. But I never really became a full-time artist until uh, much later in my life. Mm. My husband, John, um, and I have been together 45 years, and he, you know, he always said, oh, you sh we should get you your own gallery. I thought, oh, yeah, sure, blah, blah, yeah, right. But I had kids, and uh, we started the travel agency. We did other businesses. And when I finally got around to thinking I could actually make a make a living as an artist, I was in my 50s. Mm. So I've always said I'm a late bloomer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, um, you know, high school to me was just, it, it wasn't the peak of my life. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, high school, <laughs> high school sucked. <laughs> I was this little skinny kid. You know, all the, all the beautiful girls were cheerleaders. And, and, you know, in a small town, there were no athletics for girls. So mm -hmm. I, if I could run or play golf or anything else like that, I mean, I wasn't given the opportunity. Yeah. Your only opportunity to be um, an uh, athletic at all was to be a cheerleader. Well, I was all arms and legs. And um, I couldn't do a cartwheel to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I, my life got a whole lot better after high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. High school was that was an interesting period. But it's interesting because um, I was telling you earlier that I've always wanted to be a writer, but it's taken me a while to get to this point in my life. It sounds like you had a similar situation where there was some. Maybe it was different for you. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but for me, it was like it's like I had these two values in my head. And I don't think I would have labeled them as values at the time, but one of them was about being creative and like telling a story, being a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And the other one was just about family and taking care of my family and, you know, being the provider for a family. And so it took me, you know, in, it took me maybe not to my fifties, but well into my thirties before I had an opportunity to just focus on what I've always wanted to focus on, which is just creating and being a storyteller mine was just a you know a similar track but starting later i mm -hmm. had uh i didn't have my my first son until i was 30 oh, okay um and so you know my kids my, you know i was being a mom yeah I, you know i was the cub scout leader or whatever co-leader yeah. and and uh sat on a lot of bleachers for little league games and really involved with my two sons who are three years apart for um, most of their you know school life yeah. I mean I remember painting sets for the school musical and I mean that was the extent of my creativity I was also really I mean I played some tennis but I played a lot of golf mm -hmm. um, I loved the game of golf and so I was that took up a lot of my time 
That takes up a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> do you still do you still golf? No. You said you cry now if you don't I, do well. I, uh, I I got so where I could cry. You know, I remember one day I cried through 10, 11, and 12, and I thought, wait a minute, something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> I am paying a fortune to play this game, and it makes me cry. And um, what, if I, what, what was it? What was it that was making I was too cry? competitive. Mm. Oh, if with I was, yourself or with with the other people you were golfing with? No, with myself. If I mm. couldn't play well every time it went out, and and golf is not like riding a bicycle. Yeah, you can have a you can be you know top of the world one day, and in the pits the next. I mean, I've I've had a hole in one. I've broke you know I've I've had a couple of round you know numbers of rounds in you know the the seventies were which is you know almost par, but boy, if I if I wasn't <laughs> playing well, I just I just it's you know people have to have a certain mentality they have to be bulletproof and mm-hmm. i wasn't i'm too emotional yeah. and that's probably part of being a creative person yeah is being an emotional person yeah. highly sensitive or something yes yeah so um so then i i decided uh we played pebble beach which is a wonderful golf course in california on yeah. the monterey peninsula oh uh, 16 years ago and i thought that's a good place to end I have oh, never, wow. I haven't picked up a club since. Whoa. You just went cold turkey. <laughs> cold turkey on golf. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I still get twinges when I, you know, go buy a beautiful golf course. I think, ooh, that would yeah. be, you know. But no, I, I learned that um, painting takes a lot of time also. You can't have both. Mm. And uh, painting does not make me cry if mm. I don't have, if I don't do well. But see. Oh, I see. So there's a, there's a. <clears throat> perfectionist inside of you as well yes and so you're 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 thinking is if i can't be the best that i can be then why spend the time right yeah i can control painting yeah i can fix you know golf if you've made a bad shot hey you've made a bad shot and painting if you don't like something you've done with acrylic paint you let it dry you paint over it no one knows what's underneath (laughs) yeah i always tell my students only the top layer counts Mm. You can make 18 different changes through the course of the painting. Yeah. No one knows. Yeah. Unless it gets to the Louvre and they, you know, you know, in a they start couple, x-raying it. They start yeah. x-raying it and they see, <laughs> yeah, they see the uh, dogs playing poker underneath your painting or something. And then, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I think none of us is going to get to the Louvre this week. So, um, you know, we just paint over it until we like it. Yeah. So, so you had this painful experience when you didn't live up to your expectations in golf. Uh-huh. So have you had similar painful experiences when you haven't lived up to, I mean, I know you were saying you can paint over it, right? but I'm, I'm sure that there have been times where you've presented or, and you just haven't gotten the response that you were hoping for. Have you, have you experienced that? Rarely. Yeah. You know, I, I have gotten to the point in painting where I know what's good mm. and I know what's the best I can, the, the best work that I can do. Yeah. And I feel in pretty much in full control. Yeah. Whereas with golf, I wasn't in full control. Yeah. So here, uh, I can start a painting and if I don't like the way it's going, I just change it. And yeah. I, I, as I tell my students, I said, I'm not, af- I mean, I'm afraid of everything on the planet except for a paintbrush. I mean, mm. I won't go on a roller coaster. Yeah. But give me a paintbrush and I'm not scared. I can ju- I'll just paint until I paint until I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a way, though, that requires there's like this artistic mentality that I think a lot of people outside, like people who aren't trying to be creative, they just 
they just, um, in a way, it's like you do something and you get a paycheck. Mm -hmm. But with a creative venture, it's almost like, how do I put this into words? So I did business school in the past and I, I, I started a tech company at one point. And so I had this mindset of who is my customer and what does my customer want? Mm -hmm. And so I would go to my potential customers. I'd call them on the phone and I'd go visit with them. And I would, the first, the first year or so of building my company was just talking to people about what they needed and what they wanted so that I could give that to them. Sure. But, um, but as soon as I started trying to just be more creative with writing, podcasting, even there's this, there's this different way of approaching it where as a creative person, as an artistic person, you, you can almost not, you almost don't care what somebody else is asking for. Sometimes you just have to sit down and create what's supposed to come out of you. And then if you're fortunate, this is like the, the I mean, you, you become a really good painter, right? And so you, it's not just luck, you get there. But at the same time, you have to be willing to just sit with something long for a long time, not knowing exactly what's going to come out of it. So if you do 18 different versions of your painting and you still don't like it, there's got to be something inside of you that says, I'll do 19. Right. And that's, that's, um, that's not coming from feedback from somebody else. That's just coming from your own understanding of the experience and of, of knowing the product that you want to actually produce. Well, there are a lot of the thing about painters um, or artists in general. Some artists are academically trained and some are not. Yeah. So um, you, can, you can find people that exhibit at art shows that may be able to just pull something off because hey, they started doing it and they found out, hey, I'm pretty good at this. But the academic training is what gives you, what arms you with uh, the ability to uh, adapt and mm. change, knowing that this is how you mix these colors or composition requires a variety of size and shape or, you know, texture is important in painting or, or you know, balance, movement. There's so many, yeah. there's so many properties to um, creating visual art that if someone's not academically trained, hey, they may hit a home run on a few pieces. But if somebody said, hey, will you paint my cat? They wouldn't know how to do it mm. because it's outside their wheelhouse. Yeah. Where when someone says to me, would you paint that would you be interested in painting this for me? I always say yes, because I look at it as a challenge. Yeah. My most recent painting, which I've never done anything like this before, but I did a 48-inch square painting of a dairy farm in Buffalo, New York, from an <laughs> aerial photograph. Oh, wow. There so was no sky. It was just, it was an aerial, a, like looking an, down, an aerial photograph, a man that apparently back in the sixties and this, this photograph was in, from the sixties. It was all faded out. I have no idea what the colors, real colors were to mm, be. Yeah. And it showed this, this farmhouse with laundry on the line and a man on a, on a mower, on a, on a tractor mm -hmm. mowing the fields and the cows up over up on this field, and they had to be black and white. They had to be Holsteins, or yeah. whatever, because they were. I mean, I wouldn't know cows. a dairy cow from a, an Angus, you know. Yeah. But and it had to be, you know, though there were um, 
telephone telephone wires along the roads, and uh, it was just this man said, Could, "Would you be interested in doing this for me?" And I said, "Of course." Yeah. And it was a real challenge to keep the painting looking interesting with ninety percent of the of the paint being green mm. because I was painting all these fields. I'd never painted cows laying down i'd never painted laundry on a fence or on a on a clothesline or whatever but um you know i just asked a lot of questions well what what's this over in this field well that's where the cows laid down and that's where it was all torn up or or that's that oh that's an alfalfa field that's going to look different from the hay field or whatever and so to me a commission for a painting is problem solving. It's a mm-hmm. puzzle. It's it's something that I'm challenging myself to be able to complete. Yeah. And I find great joy and success in doing that because I'm successful when I have figured out what's what these people want and right. I create it and they just go nuts and they love it. Yeah. And I so I guarantee whenever I do a commissioned art for a client, I guarantee my work. I said if you can't if you don't love it, you can't have it mm. because I won't have it hang in your home if yeah. you're not crazy about it. Yeah. Because every painting I hang in someone's home gets seen by their friends, by their family, by yeah. everybody that comes through their home. And if they say, oh, yeah, we had Beth Zink commission a painting for us and we're not really happy with it. Yeah. Then all of a sudden my reputation goes down the tubes. So I'm, you know, I, some artists don't like doing commissions because they want it to be just what comes outside of them, and they don't yeah. want to alter anything. Yeah, I have no problem with that. I want people that I know I'm not Picasso or Michelangelo. I mean, I want people to have. I want everybody that wants my art to be able to have some of my art. Yeah, that's also why I sell pillows and note cards and tiles and other stuff yeah. because not everybody can afford four, five, six, ten thousand dollars for a painting. Yeah, and I just want. Um, I guess it's just kind of wanting to be loved, you know? <laughs> <laughs> let's just jump right to it. Yeah, let's jump to it. Yeah. When, when, did, you, when did you develop this mentality of, of just wanting, because you, you obviously are very focused on quality, of just doing your best. I mean, that's the drive. So where did, where did that come from? Is that innate, or did you learn that? Did you decide upon it, or did it just make sense to you organically? I think part of it, and this is probably not all of it, but um, first, my husband, John, encouraged me. He said, you're great. You're wonderful. He, he's the one that's wanted ha- that actually had this studio built for me mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, he was he sponsored this studio. He, yeah. he had it built because he he believed in me. Yeah. And so, I mean, he was he, he was even involved in how many lights there be and where the track lights are going to hang and all that sort of technical stuff that's n- not in, in part of my um, function. Um, so the encouragement to do well is what makes everybody excel. I think every kid that yeah. has a good teacher that says, hey, you're good at this or, or I'm going to show you how you can get better at this and encourages kids. Everybody thrives on encouragement. Yeah, You know, berating someone or or chastising them or making fun of them or whatever is, is uh, quite the opposite. So, yeah. So my husband really encouraged me. I think the drive came from, um, my family wasn't poor, but 
but we weren't wealthy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we belonged to a country club, but it was a little, a little small country club with a nine hole golf course, not 18 holes. <laughs> My parents both loved to play golf. And you know, neither, I don't think either one of them was particularly motivated financially. Mm, yeah. And I remember. You mean they were just, they were good with where they yeah, were. They kind of, my, well, my dad definitely was. He was yeah. kind of good with where he was. He His life was good because he was in sales. He could go out and make sales. Mm. If it was a uh, on a rainy day, he'd go out and call on his customers and make his sales. But if it was a beautiful day and he wanted to be on the golf course, there he went. Yeah. You know, so, so it was, he, he was satisfied with our level of um, comfort. I guess. And it's funny, there were four kids and uh, two out of the four ended up being really driven to to be financially secure or beyond. Mm, interesting. And uh, I'm one of them. Yeah. Um, and I just always said I would much rather work hard and make more money so I could have the things I wanted or be able to give to others. I mean, it's, it's also being able to be generous yeah. by making, you know, you can make a lot of money, but that gives you the opportunity to say, Hey, you know, this charity needs my, you know, needs me to donate something or, you know, I mean, I'm very charitable when it comes to donations for the mostly local. I don't like to do international or national, but, um, but money isn't evil. It, gives you the opportunity to do yeah. good things yeah. with it and also to create a nice life, be able to buy your kids or your grandkids something real special that, you know, you, your parents couldn't have yeah. purchased for you. Yeah. Well, I definitely know, I definitely know that side of it of like the, just the feeling of there are so many things I wasn't able to have or do or experience. And for, for my family where I came from, it was poverty. Like we were poor seven kids my dad worked construction my mom stayed home and we were poor and yeah I think I got that same thing that you got that thing that's like well I want to I want to like rise above I want to I want to have a big life I want to experience and I saw that money was money is like a path to something like that right right I never looked at money as the goal money was like the the key for the door Right. Yeah. I don't want to just pile it and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Want to, I want to do stuff with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, just recently I, uh, I said to John, you know, we have this beautiful natural property here um, in Cave Creek, but we have a front, we have a road and the frontage is all natural desert, but there's a lot of bare space. Mm. And I said, you know what? I want a cactus garden there. So I just had this cactus. I mean, I just bought all these cactus and I went and picked out boulders and I found gravel and all the, you know, and had all these people deliver this stuff and, mm -hmm. and have these workmen come out and plant like 25 plants along my front, um, the front edge, front edge of my property. And it just brings me such joy <laughs> to, to yeah. have all these cactus because yeah. I'm into cactus anyway yeah. from my artwork. But, um, you know, visual people, just see things that non-visual people don't see. Yeah. Um, you know, and my husband is not a visual person, but when I said, you know, we should have a really beautiful, you know, what this is our studio. We should have a yeah. be beautiful cactus garden around the front. He went, Oh, you're right. You should. <laughs> I mean, he hadn't thought of it, yeah. but he's all behind it. I yeah. mean, and so I can't wait for everything to grow and yeah. really fill in. And Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you talking about 
the support that your husband gives you. Uh huh. I think it's fantastic. I have a wife who's very similar. Like anything I do, she's like, go for it. And which is amazing because I've lived a pretty unconventional life. Um, but I also think about, cause I was asking you about like, where does your drive, where does your motivation come from? And I was thinking back on what you had said about your dad and your dad was like, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to go do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what you want to do. Like you need to do this. And it's just, it just strikes me because a lot of people will go find somebody to marry who's like their spouse or not to choose as a spouse or a partner who's like their parents. Right. That's true, isn't yeah. it? And it seems like you went and found somebody who with a little bit more like a little bit more of a cheerleader. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I, I, I had heard about my husband before I met him because he was, I went to visit friends out in Colorado mm-hmm. um, during Christmas vacation when I was teaching art in a girls, Catholic girls boarding school <laughs> in Wheeling, West Virginia, where the sun almost never shines. And I flew out to Colorado and uh, actually, I was even married at the time, and I was not happy. So I flew out to Colorado and I to visit these friends, and these friends had gone to visit this guy named John Zink. And um, he happened to have had a skiing accident the day before I, I arrived, which was Christmas. And when he got out of the hospital and came, and, and he came in on his crutches to, to say hello and visit and meet, and meet me, along with see everybody else that had lived at the house, I um, I took one look at him and I fell in love with him. It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. I just fell in love with him, love at first sight. Mm. I was married. Yeah. I had a husband I didn't like back in West Virginia. And not, he, not quite the cheerleader. Not the ideal situation here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he, it took him a little longer than a day. But uh, we've been together now 47 years. Wow. And um, it's just like, he's like my arm or my leg or something. You know, we're mm-hmm. just we're just kind of like one person. Yeah. And, um, but he has supported me all along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just encouragement is what. Uh, yeah. And he's been, he was a wonderful father, you know, gave the kids a lot of experiences like camping and traveling and yeah. all that. And so. It's just been, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Yeah. Very fortunate. Do you believe in, I, I, I mean, I think I know the answer, but I want to hear what you have to say, but, um, so you believe in romance. Oh, sure. Of and, course. And you believe in living a romantic life. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. what I tell my kids all the time. I, I always say, if you're going to live, live romantically. It's interesting. I never would have thought to say that to my kids. I just say, you know, you, you need to be happy. You need to yeah. make, you need to make, we're only on this planet for so long. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I, when I see people in situations where they're miserable, I think you have the ability to get out of it. Yeah. And when I tell people that I, you know, I was teaching in this school and I went away for Christmas vacation and I met John Zink and um, I didn't tell you the rest of it. I called. Uh, I called my husband. I said, "Sell my car and send me the money. I'm staying." Oh wow! <laughs> so and you then, do, you do believe in living romantically? <laughs> and then I called Sister Rita, who was the head nun at the school. Yeah. And I said, um, "I I hate to do this because I know I'm supposed to finish what I begin. I learned that in you know church and my upbringing and everything that I you know you never you you finish everything that you start." Yeah. And. Um, I said, I, I hate to do this, but I said, 
I'm miserable. And she said, we know you are, Beth, but why don't you take six weeks, think about it, and then come back and we'll just, we'll just get, you know, get you a substitute, get a substitute for you for six weeks. And I said, Sister Rita, I just got to do it. I've just got to, I've just got to cut the cord. And she said, we will pray for you. <laughs> and I always thought I should have sent them some money. And because they, because they did a fine job praying for me, mm. they brought John to me. <laughs> yeah. Those prayers have been well answered. Those good. Those yeah. good nuns, you know, yeah. they were, they yeah. were, they had a direct line. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Cause you just said two minutes ago, you just said, there's so many people who live their lives and if they're unhappy, just change it. But then you're also, I did it. Yeah. You're, but you, you had, you came up against this thing though, where you're like, oh, if you start something, you're supposed to finish it. Right. That's what was holding me back. Yeah. It, I just think that that's probably what's holding a lot of people back. Well, you know, I was, I was going to get in trouble. I mean, I learned that when I was growing up that if you didn't do what you're told or didn't do what you're supposed to do, you got in trouble. Yeah. It's scary. You know, I mean, yeah. I used to get spankings when I was yeah, a kid. Me you know, too. I, I didn't yeah. like spankings. Yeah. And, uh, so, but, it actually took um, it took some friends there that said to me, you know, if you don't make if you're not happy, you're not going to be able to make anybody else happy, mm. and you've got to think about that. And I said, really? You mean I can just like cancel my flight? And and um, they said, yeah. And I went, wow. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to do it. And people said, oh, you were so brave. And I said, it really wasn't. It was. It wasn't yeah. desperation. It was just. An out, yeah, a way out. You saw the door and you took yeah. it, yeah. And but I had yeah. to, I had to be nudged. Yeah. I mean, I had to have some of my friends that were living in in Crested Butte, Colorado, yeah. that were skiing all day and working at night, you know, in yeah. bars and restaurants and stuff to, to encourage me. But the situation must have been uncomfortable enough or difficult enough, unpleasant enough that a little nudge, that whatever nudge Didn't it took, much. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time. Oh, it's strange. It's it's like there are moments that you come across in your life where it seems like a crazy decision. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in business school and everybody else was getting jobs with big paychecks and benefits and signing bonuses and all this. And I wasn't even applying. I, like I wasn't interviewing. I wasn't applying because I was just over in this other room, like calling people and being like, hey, thinking about building this thing. Are you interested? And, um, I don't know, there was just something, if I'm being honest, I feel it now. I feel it now as I'm working on this podcast in my book, I just feel like, yeah, this is crazy, but it f just feels like the right thing to do. I think you were talking about faith before, right? not, not from a religious perspective. Faith but just, versus religion. Right? Yeah. <laughs> faith versus religion and life requires a ton of faith. It does. And it requires giving up on things and it requires starting new things that seem crazy. But if you don't do that, if you never roll the dice, then what does life become? Right. And John, my husband is, you know, he always says, you know, let's, we need some adventure. We, you know, he loves to travel and, yeah. and, uh, you know, he said, let's, you know, let's do, I mean, Recently, it's this summer. It's like, okay, what should we do? Well, let's take some road trips. You know, we you know we have some situations now where we're not able to to be at high altitude because of his health, and and um, we had a cabin up in the mountains, which is a great place to go. Yeah, and get go to high altitude for the summer and cool off. Well, now we just have to create adventures. Yeah, and um, so we're just 
kind of compiling a list of places we want to go mm. and things we want to do. And it's off-season for me, except for creating new work. Mm-hmm. My, my art season, my show season, starts in the fall and goes through the spring. So summer is pretty much our, you know, I'm free to mm, do, yeah. do, whatever, do whatever I want creatively to, you know, create, create new work. Um, always trying to think of, you know, new subjects or um, a new palette, new color palette. Yeah. Uh, just, to, just to keep myself interested as well as present a fresh face um, when I exhibit. Yeah. And part of um, what you said something earlier about um, about your about your um, writing. What was it that you said? Um, how it? Uh, oh, I don't know. I but something about energy. I don't or know. It'll come back to me. Okay. Retrieval. I've learned that. Uh, you know, I'm 73 years old. I, I would not have guessed that. Well, it's because I don't act it. <laughs> it's important yeah. not to act your age. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, oh, plus, you know, I have really good genes. I feel good. You know, it's it's easy to to act younger than you are when you feel when yeah. you feel like you're 28. Yeah. Well, and also you're doing you're spending your days doing something that feels like play. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a lot to be said for that. The whole yeah. creative experience. Yeah. Which is what you're doing too. Yeah. And even though I was, you know. Uh, said what, what's in it for me I mean I know you know the creative experience yeah. for you is um, I mean it's you know kind of encouraging each other mm-hmm. when doing this yeah I, I think that's been one of the biggest things about doing a podcast with um, starting off with artists who have made a career out of just doing something they love is that I sit down with them and they all have the same message they just say well you just do the work you just do the work right and that makes you feel good and if you do it long enough you get good and then people pay you for it. People pay you for it. Exactly. Yeah. And then they take it home and they live with it and they look at it every day. Yeah. And it becomes a part of their life. Yeah. And the lives of everybody that walks through their home. I can't tell you how productive uh, dinner parties are for an artist. Mm. You know, if somebody comes, you know, has a party and they say, oh, I want you to see this new painting I just bought from Beth Zink. And they go, oh, I hadn't seen her work. I mean, I've... I've <laughs> I've had people, I've had people do that, and uh, the next the next client you know buys three, and the next yeah. client buys six. You know, it's yeah, like it, it just it multiplies. Yeah, but um, that's all just part of that um, validation of you as an artist. Yeah, it's you know money is wonderful, but you know being being told that you're are people actually saying. Yeah. Wow, I've seen you work for years and I've always wanted the piece and I just your work mm. makes me happy. Yeah. That's that's the ultimate compliment for me is yeah. someone saying your work makes me happy. Yeah. Because I think what other business? Well, I'm sure music and and writing too. You know, what other business other than a creative business can you do something that makes you happy and fulfills you and somebody else pays you for it? And then they take it home and they put it in their home and it makes them happy. Yeah. All of a sudden they become your best friends. These people, you had no idea who they were. Yeah. You know? And, and it's, it's like a mutual admiration society. Yeah. You know, you love them because they're filling their home with your work. And they love you because, because <laughs> what you did to make their home happy. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I mean, it's, it's, 
amazing. So it's like how, magic. How can I not walk around with a smile on my face all the time? Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't understand. So I just don't get it when when people um, have it within their grasp to um, make themselves happy. But it, it it's not like I had a manual to do this. Yeah. A lot, you know, it, it, life takes a lot of twists and turns. And like I said, I didn't really start. Um, painting full time until I was in in my fifties. Yeah. Um, gosh, I had a phone call yesterday from a a, a church uh, thrift shop in Santa Fe, and this woman called me and she said, "We have this painting of yours that was donated to our thrift shop, and we'd like to know the value of it." And I looked back at it and I went, "Oh my goodness, that." is a painting that was a going away gift to the head of the school where I taught, Phoenix Country Day School. Mm. When she, when this, the head of the school left, they named a building after her. And for the going away gift, I was commissioned to paint the building with the cactus garden out in front of it, whatever, uh-huh. as a gift. And um, so this woman found me by just Google searching me. Yeah. And then she found my website, and she went, "Oh my God!" Because <laughs> this is a real artist. <laughs> I, I don't paint. I don't paint watercolors yeah. of buildings with people's names on them yeah. anymore. Yeah. And I said, "What's the year?" And she said, "1995." So it's like 27 Whoa. years ago. I did this yeah. painting, and when she saw my artwork, now she said, "You should be selling your work in Santa Fe." I said, "You find me the gallery." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you never yeah. know how how things are gonna. That's so funny. The twists and turns your life will take. Yeah. Well, talk to me about your art specifically. You do a lot of desert scenes, landscape, plants. Um, there's a lot of life. Right. Nature. nature. I love nature. Yeah. But but in uh, when I look at it, I go, I go, there's a lot of realism there. However. However, <laughs> you and you just you it's I've seen this as online how it describes you is you use bold colors right. and, and attention to detail right so i make up a lot of my colors you know, it's <laughs> just like people say oh i've yeah. seen a purple agave i said no you have not yeah but they look i'm good looking at like an orange cactus orange right now. prickly pear i was yeah. so tired of green paint one day i just said i'm just gonna paint a prickly pear in orange well you know what it just it was i mean it sold really fast and i went mm-hmm maybe I'm onto something. Yeah. So now I either make up my own colors or I just amp them up. You know, if, yeah. if there's a, a flower on a on a uh, cactus that's red, I make it just like, you know, deep, velvety, mm. yeah. rich red, not the pale red it was. Yeah, really bring it out. Right, and yeah. I like high contrast. Um, I, like, I like drama in my paintings, not in my life. Mm. Drama yeah. in your paintings, you use opposite colors. You know, that's what creates contrast. Yeah. You know, yellow versus purple is the same thing as white versus black, red versus mm. green, orange versus blue. If you know the color wheel, that's, I mean, that's how you make paintings dramatic. Yeah. is And that's usually what my paintings um, are, is a lot of high contrasting color. But I also enjoy um, doing landscapes. However, when I do landscapes, I, I also tend to put a lot of, um, they always have cactus. Every cactus is in bloom mm. in my in my landscapes. Yeah, I mean I don't leave any. Cact- I mean, it doesn't matter what time of year it is. I make sure all the flo- all the flowers are in bloom. Mm. 
and sunsets are just Arizona sunsets can't be you know they can't be duplicated. Yeah. Um, and so you know you look at the sky and you get those hot pinks and oranges and blues all together mixed together in those wild cloud formations. So I've really been getting into sunsets a lot mm. lately. Yeah. That's well, that's what I saw on your Instagram was you had a right. You've got two pictures up and one of them's a sunset. <laughs> yeah, one of them's a sunset. Yeah, yeah but it's gorgeous. I mean, from because when you see it at first, it's so small. Right. And you think, whoa, that could be an that could be a photo. Right. That could be an image, but it's it's just so it just pops. Right. There's the one. I think the one I'm thinking of is like there's a desert silhouette at the bottom. Uh huh. Yes. And it just looks yeah, it's it's amazing. It's hanging right here behind that one that's on the easel. Uh, okay. But you know, um, it's. I mean, I I can like I was saying to you earlier, I could paint anything. I mean, I could paint your dog if you wanted me to. Mm -hmm. I just think that artists um, to excel, you have to kind of carve a niche, a niche, yeah, yeah. niche, niche. I never know if I sound effective <laughs> when I say that, but you have to um, be known for something. Yeah, what's your thing? Yeah, what's your yeah. thing? Oh, well, you want cactus painted? Oh, you got to go see Beth. You know, Beth, Beth paints great cactus flowers or, yeah. or, or cacti. Yeah. Uh, or if you want nice, soft, mellow painting, don't go see Beth. <laughs> you know, it's not what she does. And yeah. I always, you know, people sometimes tell me they think it's, you know, it's kind of like part of my personality, too. I'm kind of like raucous or reckless or bold or, or funny and, and stuff. And, mm. and that's kind of like my paintings kind of, are, you know, have a personality like that, too. They're not. You know, not, I'm not, you know, quiet and, and meek. And um, although I know artists that their their art is kind of their alter ego. Mm, you know, some yeah. artists, they're just, you know, as, as meek as, as they could possibly be. And they yeah. paint very boldly. But yeah. mine's kind of more of, you know, what you see is what you get. Yeah, yeah. What is it about the, I mean, was along that journey, there's got to be some point where you go, okay, this is what I'm doing. Like what? What was that? What was that like? Getting into the uh, painting, the cacti and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, or just focus. Yeah, because you were saying an artist needs to focus on right. one thing, and you've got cacti. Yeah, but also just kind of desert, the right. desert landscape and desert scenery. Right. Yeah. Well, we moved here in 1986 mm -hmm. from Colorado. I was I born in 1985. Well, my <laughs> my kids were born in 79, yeah. 82. So they're both older than you are, and uh, so we moved. My husband was in um, in business, and uh, he was in sales. And he, mm. we were in Colorado, and his territory changed, or he went with a different company, whatever. And and um, I didn't want to really leave. I mean, I loved Denver, Boulder area, and so he said, "Well, we could go to Scottsdale." And I went, "Well, that doesn't sound all bad." So um, we moved to to Scottsdale in 1986, and. I have to say, I, I was pretty ignorant. I had no idea. I thought the desert, I thought it was going to look like Lawrence of Arabia. I thought it was mm. like the Sahara. Yeah, I yeah. had no idea the high yeah. desert was different from the other deserts. Yeah. And when we got here and I saw these crazy plants, I mean, you know, agaves and prickly pears and ocotillo and, and all these wild and crazy plants that grew here, um, it's just, I was just so taken by them. They were yeah. like nature's sculptures. Yeah. And so I started, and I, at the time I was painting in watercolor and pretty um, 
uh, amateurishly, I would say, in 1986. Because this was still, my, my kids yeah. were four and seven. I was a mom, pretty yeah. much. But uh, I started painting uh, cactus um, in watercolor, and uh, mostly because of the intrigue of them. They were so different from Rhode Island, where I grew up, yeah, or um, the Midwest, where I spent some time, or Colorado. You know, th this is a, a unique part of the planet. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's when I start. That's when I got started on it, um, on painting the local. Uh, flora and fauna, not fauna, flora. And, um, you know, then I just, as my, as my work um, just developed, I started experimenting more and making them brighter in color. And, and when, you know, when you receive success at something, you're, yeah. you're more likely to continue to pursue it. Yeah. Um, just like somebody patting you on the back or saying, hey, you know, you, you know, like Mrs. Windsor back in elementary school. You know, I had people say, oh, I really love the fact that you made those colors so vibrant. Yeah. I said, okay. Oh, you, you know, do. I'm, my mother didn't <laughs> raise no dummy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, I, yeah. okay, you know, I want to sell paintings. So, I mean, I, I, uh, I paint what I love, but, you know, if somebody says... Hey, uh, you know, I would really like that painting, but I would like to have more blues in it or something. I mean, I have no aversion to blue. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I'll paint, I'll paint what makes people happy. Yeah. Because it all makes me happy. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm choosing between me being happy and them being happy. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not that much of a purist, I guess. Yeah. You know, like I think about starving artists. Um, I remember hearing that phrase and I, <laughs> Actually, I was interviewed for a local newspaper many years ago, and they said something about uh, about being a starving artist. And I said, I have no intention of becoming a starving <laughs> artist. And they printed it, and I was so embarrassed afterwards. Oh, man. But it was it was what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's me. Yeah, I say things that I aren't exactly politically correct, but um, yeah, you seem to have a tendency when uh, somebody approaches you with an idea, you go wait. What is this idea? What's the cut to the chase? Yeah, what's the get get, get to the here. real thing here? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. The other thing that I've noticed about Arizona particularly is because before you were saying it's it's like not it's like nowhere else that you can find. So this last weekend, my family we did a camping trip to the Grand Canyon, and it was it was my first time since I was a kid. But we did the Grand Canyon, like in we camped in Grand Canyon National Park. Wonderful. It's a where we were, our site was like a 10 minute walk from the rim and we could just look out and it was, it was amazing. The, the contrast in colors and depths and the, the sheer cliffs and the rock slides and everything is crazy. And then we drove over to the Navajo reservation where they have these, this thing called lower antelope Canyon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've been, but it's, I have not, but I've oh, seen photographs. If you're thinking about adventures for the summer, it is. It's incredible. You have to have a reservation, right? To um, to before you go, but they. It's like a really simple. You walk down from the building, a couple flights of stairs. Some of them are pretty steep, and then you're inside this. It's like hard to explain, but you're inside a sandstone cavern that's very narrow. Yes. Excuse me, and um, you just see all the layers, right? And the colors and the swirls, and then as you walk through the different angles, looking up where you get glimpses of the sky the sun streaming in and yeah. creating all those shadows just, and yeah, yeah it's 
it I, makes me think that you know because because there is a lot of life here in the desert flora and fauna but even if you took all that away arizona would just be this visually just stunning place to visit it is with huge variety yeah uh, it's funny we were we were in the Grand Canyon last week too. Oh really? We just okay. did a, we just did an overnight uh, camping. Ah uh, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a, not a camping up, just a just a one nighter. But uh, yes, the you know you can't see the Grand Canyon enough. I mean, it's just it's phenomenal. Even when you're seeing it, you can't believe you can't ima- like you right. can't wrap your head around what you're seeing. Right. The way I was the way I was trying to explain it to my wife, and this might not make sense, but when you're standing on the rim. You're standing right there at the edge. Something about the vastness of it is kind of overwhelming in a mm-hmm. way. You can, it feels like, oh, I need to take a step back. Right. But in reality, you're looking at all these miles and miles of canyon and depth and all this, but all the danger that you're facing is right in front of you. Exactly. Because it's only you couldn't you couldn't fall from where you are into the canyon. Right. You can only fall over the first ledge. Right. And there's something about the size of it that your brain and your body like can't get on the same page with each other. And some amazing ancient trees and stone. And, yeah. Um, oh, and we and we also just down the road in the Navajo Reservation, they have this place called Dinosaur Tracks. Uh huh. And if you go over there, there's Velociraptor tracks in the sandstone, and there's T Rex tracks. Kids and, love that stuff. Too. Oh yeah. I remember yeah. taking our kids to the Four Corners. Yeah. When, uh, when they were little, you know, and seeing dinosaur yeah. bones. Yeah. Yeah. I do think this is, this is something cause, cause I was born in 1985. I grew up without the internet. My parents didn't have cell phones. Like we had a analog TV in the house. And so to me growing up, going outside was an adventure. It was like exciting. Anywhere we were going, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. Any, and also like what, <laughs> what you were saying before, uh, I think we started recording is anytime I could be away from my parents, it was exciting. It was just like an adventure. <laughs> right. But now looking at my kids, the world they grow up in, it takes them like a day or two of being out there before they, they, it's like they have to get rid of all that other stuff. Yes. And all then, the electronics yes. and, and screens that take up their lives. Yeah. It, it's like they have to get away from it for 24 or 48 hours. And then all of a sudden they're kids and they're just having fun running around playing right. games. It's just fascinating to watch. I grew up in the woods. Yeah. I mean, we had my, my family had uh, six acres in the woods and it was surrounded by a forest that was like the watershed for the city of Providence um, drinking water. It mm-hmm. was a, actually a reservoir. Mm-hmm. And so um, we didn't have any neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, so we were kind of forced to play with ourselves. Our, you know, my okay. sisters, my sister and brother and I were all a couple years apart. And then our little sister was born later. But, you know, we went out and made mud pies. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe yeah. that's the first beginning of my creativity was, you know, making mud pies on the sandbox or, or, you know, walking down to this little brook yeah. and looking for toads or whatever we were doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was, that was our entertainment. Yeah. And, and it was, it was, it was, it, it was like interesting. It was something yes. to go do that was, oh, I'll, I'll go do that. Cause I grew up in a similar way where. I was telling you, I grew up in a grape vineyard in Northern California and we were homeschooled and isolated because we didn't have any neighbors. And so it was like this little bubble of people. Mm -hmm. And the way that I would spend my time is I would just walk the countryside Mm -hmm. exploring. I would do the same thing. We had a a river maybe about a mile from the house and I would just ride my bike down there and 
that's yeah that's what I did with my days. Our, we actually did have some uh, neighbors that were up over the. My grandparents had a had a, the home that we grew. I grew up in was built my by my grandparents when my dad was in high school, and then later when my grandfather retired and had had a place in Florida, uh, they had a smaller. They built a smaller home up on the hill. But over the hill, there was this uh, rental. I, I didn't realize it until later, but um, this family uh, with six kids mm. that uh, had a had a farm, and they were um, they existed. Uh, they had the cow for their milk. They had Angus that they slaughtered for their meat. Mm-hmm. They had a garden that wouldn't quit with vegetables and tomatoes, uh, tomatoes and and peppers and all the stuff that you can corn and all the stuff you can grow sunflowers at the end of each mm-hmm. each row and um those kids had to work all the time mm-hmm. you know they were always yeah. when they were allowed out they had to be picking vegetables or uh, milking the cow or looking for eggs underneath the chickens yeah and to me that was fun yeah and my mother would say you can only go over there for like you know, for so long. You can only go over there to do chores for so long. Yeah, she's going, you come back here and do chores. You want to do chores, (laughs) you can come back here. But it wasn't nearly as fun as these, as these neighbor kids. Yeah. And, uh, I just heard, and, you know, that was, talk about poor. These people were poor. I Mm, mean, you know, there were six kids and they had one bathtub, one bath, you know, one room. Um, and the mom. Sounds familiar. (laughs) And the, and the mom canned, I mean, the reason you're yeah. picking those tomatoes is so she could can them and put them all in jars. And I remember fly paper in the kitchen. It was a crazy. I mean, yeah. so so it was like this. Talk about yeah, nature and growing up and being think about rural and yeah. and backwoods. And now to be, you know, um, I mean, it's it was America. <laughs> you know, it was the United States, but it was just so different from kids that yeah. grew up in in the cities or our kids who grow up in suburbia and now like you say have cell phones and and TVs and laptops and and everything that that's that's occupies their time yeah, no reason to go outside yeah yeah when i just thought it was so much fun to candle an egg you know look and see <laughs> if it was going to be a chicken or if we could yeah. eat it you know it was i mean things experiences like that that um I don't know that they that they added any uh, fabric to my life, but I sure remember how different it was from, you know, uh, the the America I know today and yeah. and where I live, everything about it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Let me ask you um, a couple more questions about art. Okay. And then um, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. But um. One of the things that even says on your website is attention to detail. Right. So I, I'm always curious from your perspective, like where does the art start? Where does art begin? Well, you have a, a vision in your in your mind. Maybe you're working from a photo resource or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I work from different, you know, pho- photographic resources, yeah. depending on the depending on the on the piece that I'm creating, but. Um, for example, the the piece on my easel right now is um, a photo. It's from a photo that I took from my driveway. Mm-hmm. It's it's cactus and it's Black Mountain, which is what what uh, the towns of Carefree and Cave Creek surround. Mm-hmm. 
and it was on a day that it was just it was uh it was in august so it's probably really hot and everything that's kind of hay you know so it had sort of a haze over it the colors weren't real vibrant but um the sky had all these really soft muted corals and and pinks along with the you know the the blues and grays and so i look at this i look at my photo reference and I think about my composition. What do I want to include? What do I want to exclude? And I decide on the part of the photograph I want to use or, or parts that I want to use. And then I use great big brushes to start with, and I do what's called a blocking in, where I basically rough in the, the predominant shapes. Mm. I rough in this big cloud here and this cloud over here, and then I rough, you know, with, with a big brush and just a color that's, sort of maybe a mid-tone, not, not the darkest, not the lightest color, but sort of a, a medium tone, um, just so I can kind of see see my drawing. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll use a chalk pencil, and I will just actually sketch the part. Like maybe, I'll, maybe if the cloud formation is real complicated, I may sketch it with a, with a chalk pencil. So drawing is important to have some drawing background yeah. for my work. Um, and then I rough it all and do the blocking in stage and then I go back in and keep on adding highlights and shadows and uh, adjusting the colors mm. and the shapes and the forms and I just keep going over the painting uh, and that's all, where the all, detail comes out all yeah I'll, I'll go over each part of the painting and to get it more detailed or make sure the color do more color correction so I work over the the painting in many many steps but you know, the, to to start with, it's just roughing it all in and making mm-hmm. it look like something. Yeah. And then after that, highlights and shadows and detail. And the more you the more you look and see, the more you know. The more you look at your reference, or the more you look at your painting, the more you see that needs you know, that needs to be sharper. That yeah. needs to be crisper. That yeah. you know, and that's the detail. Yeah. Um, you know, I. So it's 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 your eyes and just. Right. It's like seeing what needs to be there. Right. It's yeah. painting painting what you see. That's mm. that's what I what I do and of course I amp up the colors and it's stuff. It's interesting it's interesting because if that's the source of like where you're like tweaking it by saying okay, this needs to change. That needs to change. You're like looking and observing and constantly. Trying. And then once it's finished and as a visual artist what you're doing then is giving other people the chance to look at it. Right. But what you're when you when you become an artist, you start to see the you see the world. If you're a visual person, you see the world so differently. Um, your your visual acuity, if you will, your you know your your eyes are so sharp. Like a musician's ears are sharper. You know, yeah. my my eyes are more developed than my ears. Yeah. Or my nose, or my tongue, or whatever you know, all the, all the other senses. My eyes are so much more tuned in. I mean, I look at shadows on, on you know. I mean, I I can look at a shadow on a on a street, or a you know, or a lawn, or something, mm-hmm. and go, "Ooh, look at that! Look at the pattern that's." Mm-hmm. And and somebody that's that has not had the experience of any visual you know training or or experience painting doesn't they don't see what i see yeah so um and you know as much as i'll try sometimes to be paint real loosely i mean i love some people's work their work is is just so loose and impressionistic it's just not me i can't Mm. i have to i have to paint it till i till it's me yeah and that's so that's i just have to i've 
just have to say, this is how I paint. This is what I do. I, um, I have attention to detail. I um, love to amp up the colors, and I have like strong composition. I like everything to be important in my painting, uh, all the elements. And so it's just, it's just I've developed a style that I, uh, every time I do a painting, it looks like me. Even, I mean, it looks like my painting. Even yeah. even when I do my sunsets, you know, people say, I can still tell that's Beth. Or, or a landscape, they can still tell it's me. So I guess that's the ultimate, um, all, you know, object for any, any, um, any artist is to create your own personal style that is recognizable to other people. If they see it in a magazine or they see yeah. it in a book or they see it on, on a wall. In the, the May, I, had a, I had an exhibit in the Mayo Clinic last summer. And people just kept on sending me emails going, I was at the Mayo Clinic. I said, that's got to be Beth. <laughs> <laughs> they had eight or ten of my pieces um, on a rotation. Mm. What's wonderful about the Mayo Clinic, too, is they they have, uh, and all the hospitals around here, they have art on the walls, you yeah. know, which is, is so healing to people. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to be part of that, to have, I mean, I have paintings hanging on the, I just tell people, oh, you like that painting? I hope you don't have to see it, because it's in the lobby at the hospital, the Thompson <laughs> Peak, it's Godsdale. But, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's uh, that's another thing that's wonderful about art, is it, it is healing. It's, you know, it takes people's, I mean, I did a, I did a big mural for a hospice. And I remember every time I backed up that, I mean, I, I had to use this big scissor lift to get up high to do this giant mural. And every time I backed up and that thing went beep, beep, I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, this is the only sound in this place. It was hospice. Everyone was, but, boy, people sure enjoyed coming out and watching me paint. Yeah. The families that were there watching their their loved ones, you know, go off into the hinterlands, you know, Um so that's, you know, doing art, I mean, that, that can be really wonderful, too. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's it's healing for the artist to, to get that expression out. It's healing for other people to sit there and observe yeah. it. It's. And I, I also really think, uh, I really like what you said about, um, you said something like, you you have to just keep painting. You just have to keep working at it until it looks like you. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, any, any, when do I notice, when, when do I stop? Right. <laughs> yeah. Any, well, any creative effort, if, if it's not you, it's not whole. You yeah. Know? Right. Yeah. I mean, would I leave this, you know, if I, if every shadow doesn't have the same contrast, then it's just not me. I mean, I can't yeah. have one shadow be, you know, less contrast than the next one. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Who could do such a thing? I know. It's just yeah. terrible. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, just really appreciate chatting with you, Beth. I think that you're a great person and you've lived an interesting life. You've learned a lot. And I'm just, I think it's awesome that you've found something that you want to keep doing until you can't do it anymore. And um, I think I think you will bring a lot of healing and you have bring a, brought a lot of healing to the world. And I think you'll bring a lot of just beauty and joy. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I feel like I should thank you, but maybe I should just say you're awesome. <laughs> well, thanks. I've enjoyed it too. And what I did say before, before we came on um, the live, uh, 
you didn't know who Grandma Moses was. Well, no. Grandma Grandma Moses was a um, a lady that you know I just Google searched her myself because I thought she started painting when she was ninety, but she started painting when she was seventy seven or seventy eight years old. She was an American artist, and she painted very primitively, but she became world renowned, um, and she was a uh, uh, a painter who worked very primitively, like farm life and that sort of thing. And, and her work, um, but, but what I always thought about her was, hey, if she can start, you know, she can gain world, world stature by starting something when she's 77 years old. You know, I'm, I'm the grandma zinc of, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm in. Yeah. You know, I, my, my, uh, my parents gave me some good genes and, and um, I just plan on doing this until I can't. Yeah. I love it. And I, I feel very fortunate. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's great. I think it's awesome. And it's why I wanted to chat with you. So. Well, thanks. Yeah. Again, I appreciate thank you. it. Yeah. I like being part of it, even though I <laughs> challenged you. <laughs> no, it's good. I, <laughs> What's I need, in it for me? I need to be challenged. Uh, <laughs> I need those commission works, I guess. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Again, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, and I'll... I'll uh, we could wrap it up now, but before we go, I just want you to take a minute and share with people where they can find your work, either in real life or online, uh, website, social media, all that stuff. Well, website is bethzinkart.com. I mean, if you just Google search Beth Zink, you'll do, there are some other Beth Zinks, but I pop up a lot. Yeah. You're, when I search Beth Zink, you're the first one that pops up. Good. So good. That's good. Um, and then I, I am on facebook beth zinc art and instagram now i'm back on social media which i kind of dreaded but i'm i'm committed to do it and doing it again because i know it's important and that's zinc studio beth but just go to just look for beth zinc and i think i think you'll find me on on um any of the you know the social media those two anyway yeah um and my studio is open by appointment so if someone says, hey, I'm in the area and I'd like to, you know, come and see what you have, um, you know, if I'm here, um, I welcome you. If I'm not, we'll make an appointment for a time when I am going to be here. But it's up in Cave Creek, um, kind of a horse property back here in the desert, uh, not in the downtown area. I'm south of Carefree Highway, east of Cave Creek Road. There's a studio tour in November that I'm the, I'm a host artist. Okay. And uh, last two weekends of November called Hidden in the Hills. But and then of course I do Celebration of Fine Art from January to March, um, so I can be found there. But my website has has all the details, and okay. you can always you know feel free to call me or email me or text or whatever. I can be found. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've definitely gone where the people are. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Thanks, Beth. Thank you. I really you. appreciate it. Yeah. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Explorer Poet Podcast. I hope you find this and every other episode both interesting and engaging. I know I enjoy making them. My goal is to record high-quality conversations, both in terms of content and production value. But there's still a lot I need to learn. So if you have comments or suggestions about the audio recordings or the conversations themselves, please let me know. You can contact me via email at explorerpoet at gmail.com. For more about the Explorer Poet podcast, please visit explorerpoet.com or follow on Instagram at explorerpoet or on Twitter at explorerpoetpod. Please follow and rate the podcast on your favorite app. And if you really want to be supportive, please share it with a friend. Thanks. Mm -hmm.